Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Welcome to another edition of Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I don't know. I'm just making this up as I go. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello. Um, so, yeah, where do we even begin? Released in 1981, the George Lucas-written and Steven Spielberg-directed action-adventure film launched an iconic character and film series that would go on to change the landscape of film forever. If adventure has a name, it's Indiana Jones. True that. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this our first uh, Spielberg movie? I think you are correct. I believe it is, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, uh, is probably one of the top two directors of all time in history. You know, And as I say that, I was thinking about it, and I, I don't know who I would put as his number two or who he would be one and two with. So you don't know the second one? No, not really. Nothing. Just, that was going to be my next question. I mean, there's there's a bunch of directors that immediately pop into your head, right? Scorsese, Coppola. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. But I'd really have to sit down and think about, you know, is Coppola better than Scorsese? Do I like Scorsese more than Nolan? Is Nolan even in the running? What about Citizen Kane and all that bullshit, right? Or James Cameron. When you talk about the scope, the scale, and the quantity of movies that he has put out, bar none, he has to be the 800-pound gorilla. You cannot talk about directors without talking about Spielberg. Right. And he's, he's such a natural storyteller. And uh, as you were saying, the, the scope and the look, and he has a feel to every movie. And he once said, every time I go to a movie, it's magic, no matter what the movie is about. And that's always resonated with me because I feel like movies have always been a way for you to escape for an hour and a half, two hours, right? And we've said this before, I mean, it always comes down to the story and how it's told. And I don't think anyone tells a story better than Steven Spielberg. Now, before this movie, he was writing the success of what, Jaws? What Was there any movies between this, Jaws, and this movie? Well, I'm glad that you asked that comic book guy because uh after jaws he went and made close encounters of the third kind that's right and a not so well received 1941 and then he comes out with raiders of lost ark and then during the filming of raiders of lost ark he wrote another script for another movie we've heard of yeah et another thing about spielberg is that raiders of the lost ark is one of his few movies that he says i would not change a thing about it yeah. And that is got to be high praise coming from 
a genius like Spielberg to say. And, and especially when, like for this movie, you have the mega team. You have Spielberg and Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, there was no better team. And Kazdan. Yeah. Kazdan, he was on fire here. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a screenwriter. When you yeah. first heard the two of them were pairing up, did you get a little giddy? In 1981, no, dude. I was in first grade. Oh, well. Did you get giddy as because you were in high school? No, I knew their movies. I was excited about it. At that young of an age? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I kept thinking, whatever they're bringing out is going to be just amazing. I remember seeing it. Do you guys remember seeing it in the theater for the first time? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah? Oh, yeah. But I knew nothing about Spielberg. Right. And uh, you knew Lucas from Star Wars, though, right? Yeah, but I didn't know that Lucas was a part of uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, so at the time, you didn't know. Right. Right, okay. Just going to see a movie. Yeah, and it fucking blew your socks off, right? Out the door. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing, we saw it at Northgate, when Northgate had a theater right in the front. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to, uh, we got to go to the toy store before, and we went to KB Toys, and they had the 12-inch Indiana Jones Ooh. with the hat and, you know, his whip. You could take the jacket off. His fire. Oh, I wanted it so bad. And then we go see in the movie, and I still want that fucking doll, you know? So Did you ever Indiana get it? Jones. No, I never got it. What about you? What about me seeing it? Yeah, your first time. Uh, I think it was at the John Dance Theater over in Bellevue. Yeah. Um, went with my dad, went, you know, with the family. Amazing time. I was hooked the first time I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. I Ray- kept thinking I, just, I wanted a sequel so bad. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember specifically the theater, but I remember specifically my feelings throughout the movie, watching it for the first time, and just the, uh, the, the captivation that I felt watching this movie because it is so gripping what happens again and again in this movie. And it is just... So beautifully done. I can't believe that I still feel these feelings watching it this, you know, this last time. It's still the same. Yeah. I will say, and and I'll admit this, that although I knew about the directors, it took me probably a few years to realize that it was Han Solo in that movie. I didn't realize it was the same actor in both movies. Really? It took me probably a few years. You know, and I can't even tell you how much that says about you. I know. So, well, you know what? I commend you for coming out and admitting that. That Fuck, I would never admit that. But, yeah, good for you. Good for you. Something else you can laugh at. Steven Spielberg is, you know, as we said, uh, top-notch filmmaker. And uh, uh, he'll even admit a lot of his success has come from his partnership with John Williams. You listen to a John Williams score, and you know it's a John Williams score. He has done some of the most iconic scores in history. So when we were watching this, and uh, Maggie, she was talking about the music, and I said, well, man, that's John Williams. You know, he he is so good at what he does, and, you know, it is so iconic. And she's like, yeah, it is. And, you know, I don't really know very many, but you know what? You know more John Williams. Give me another one right now. Just give me another soundtrack you know right now. And I think she gave me Star Wars. And then I gave her another one, and she goes, oh, I know that one. I go, yes, I know. But it took her a few moments. It was Superman. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Right. Because I got to tell you that John Williams, he has got to be the most iconic 
composer dealing with these movies, do, doing the Harry Potter movies, doing the uh, um, the Star Wars movies, the Indiana Jones movies. He is um, E.T., uh, um, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Oh, my gosh. This I, man is a giant. Yeah, I would say he's also the most recognizable. You could play any of his songs that he's composed, any of the music he's composed, and instantly name the movie. Um. You could, absolutely. Uh, and it, it, it's funny that you guys say that because Elise and I were watching Harry Potter and uh, one of the scorers came on and she kind of looked at me and she goes, that really sounds like Star Wars. And I said, because it's John Williams. And so when we sat down, uh, she watched Raiders with me and uh, it's playing, it's playing. And I say, uh, do you hear Harry Potter now? And she goes, oh my gosh, that's Harry Potter. You know, and... Uh, and, and it's not, it's in the vein of Harry Potter or has the essence of what Harry Potter would become because everything is different. I mean, he does it in such a style that it's so recognizable. Absolutely. Just, uh, just the greatest a, composer. Just ever. a waft. Yes, ever. You can hear a little Star Wars in the Indiana Jones music oh, too. Oh, 100%. You yeah. could hear, and I'm going to throw you guys for a loop on this one, you can hear Jaws mm-hmm. in uh, Indiana Jones. I would agree. So, yeah. The... Uh, um, the pairing that he's had with Spielberg, you know, they seem to be tied, you know, uh, tied at the waist. Now, I had heard that John Williams actually brought Spielberg two different theme songs for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Spielberg loved them both so much, he ended up combining them into Raiders, the Raiders March, I believe they called it. Yeah, well, there's no more recognizable uh, tune than the Raiders March mm-hmm. outside of Star Wars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the... Uh, the, the iconic moments of the Raiders, John Williams said he labored forever about those notes. Yeah. He spent hours, weeks, months pining away over what he wanted that music to sound like in order to make sure that it conveyed and captured what he thought that it needed to yeah. convey. And he said just those few notes... I spent so much time going over and over them again and again. Yeah, so passionate. Uh, the music is very much part of the story, right? And it, it propels the story and it enhances it and, it and it even moves us along without any dialogue. So John Williams does that so well. And, you know, we could go on and on and on about how great John Williams is, but we do have a movie to review. Let's talk about Oscars. So it won for art direction, film editing, sound editing, and visual effects. But it got nominated also for picture, director, cinematography, and original score. So it's nominated for Best Picture, losing out to Chariots of Fire. I would have chosen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, of course you would. If you were a five-year-old boy at the time. I saw Chariots of Fire, and I think I fell asleep halfway through. When, when did you see Chariots of Fire? Same time. You remember that? Oh, yeah. My, my dad took me to it, and I think I fell asleep on, during the beach scene. I don't think I've ever gotten through it as mm, well. It's so, rough. And, but back then, uh, I would have no interest in it, right? Uh, if, we should watch it. We should check it out one of these days. See if it was better than Raiders of the Lost Ark for Best Picture. Why no. Do, why, do you, why do you hate me? <laughs> so I was reading where George Lucas came up with the idea for... Raiders of the Lost Ark. He actually, and I was surprised by this, he had come up with the idea for this movie before he even came up with Star Wars. Yeah. He he was very inspired by uh, the Saturday morning serials, those type of movies, 
And he wanted to always direct a 007 James Bond style movie. So he wanted to create a character very similar to that, but he could never get the interest in it. He could never get the backing. Um, but he happened to go to Hawaii. Did you hear about this whole story? Yeah, he went with Spielberg. Yeah, well, he went to Hawaii and Spielberg joined him there. And this was while Star Wars was premiering. Lucas had a habit of not going to any premieres because he didn't like all the hoopla. Right. So he went to Hawaii. And while they were there, he told him about wanting to always make a James Bond style movie, things like that. And Spielberg said, let's make Indiana Jones. Let's make this movie. And, and George Lucas jumped on it and it was a great idea originally though did you hear what they were going to call the movie or what the main character was indiana smith it wasn't until spielberg kind of started piping in that he said no i don't like smith there's another movie out there with the the smith in the name he says let's make it indiana jones yeah it rolls off the tongue way better yeah and do you know what the inspiration is for indiana jones idaho james Idaho Johnson? Well, there was a movie out there called Idaho Jones. Jones. With Charlton Heston a while back. But actually, uh, in the third movie in uh, Crusade, it's brought up that Indiana Jones is named after the dog. Lucas got the idea from his dog that was actually named Indiana. Yeah. And I guess one day he saw um, his dog sitting co-pilot with his wife in the car and that's where he got the inspiration for Chewbacca and Han Solo. Oh, the, yeah. The so, dog was a Malmute. Yeah. So he had sort of that Chewbacca-looking face. Yeah, yeah so that, sure. that dog, Indiana, inspired both movies. Another thing that uh, Spielberg and Lucas kind of debated on and argued on was the character of Indiana Jones. Uh, Lucas wanted him to be a playboy, wanted him to kind of be sort of like a James Bond type character that he slept around, he was kind of suave and, you know, almost like a spy. In fact, that scene that we're going to get into in a little bit where Brody visits him at his house, he was supposed to have a woman in the bedroom and that's why he's all in his bathrobe because he's (laughs) this playboy character. Spielberg hated that idea. He did not want him to be this playboy character. He wanted him to be a more darker character. In fact, he wanted to be more like Humphrey Bogart and more of an alcoholic. And he kind of got his way in the scene where Indiana Jones thinks Marion has died. You see Indy hitting the bottle. That was kind of the darker version that Spielberg saw. The one who won out was Philip Kaufman, who decided he wanted him to be a, sh- a swashbuckling kind of character that we got today, you know, the Indiana Jones of today. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about Lucas's idea because uh, I'm pretty sure Lucas would have uh, wrote in uh, the lady who would have been in his bed was the student who was saying "love you" I with love her eyelids. Yeah, <laughs> you sick fuck, George That's Lucas. Nasty. <laughs> Released on June 12, 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark was directed by Steven Spielberg, screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan, story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, music by John Williams, and it stars Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, Ronald Lacey, John Rays Davies, and Dalholm Elliott. I was just going to say that you know I love the casting in this movie. Um, Harrison Ford is amazing in the movie. Uh, He was the first choice for this movie by Spielberg, but Lucas wasn't sure about having in the movie because he didn't want to put him in every one of his movies. He just had him in Star Wars and wasn't sure about putting him in this movie as well. What other movie was he in? 
American graffiti. Bang! Goes to the professor. Exactly. Uh, so they originally, they thought about having Tom Selleck, and they had him come in and do a lot of uh, read-throughs, things like that. But because of Magnum P.I., which was just starting then, he couldn't obviously do the movie. He had prior commitments. Yeah, and you can you can see all of the uh, the test footage and all the test screenings that they did. That's all on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, personally, I don't think Tom Selleck would have worked in this role. I'm pretty sure the world doesn't believe that Tom Selleck could yeah. play this role, you know. So, there is only one Indiana Jones, and it is Harrison Ford, which kind of segues me into something that I wasn't expecting to talk about. What happens when they reboot it? What are you guys going to do? Oh, they cannot reboot this movie. They're going to try. You know who they're going to put in? Chris Pratt, probably. And that would probably be my... Well, they're not going to reboot it yet. No, but they might... He might pull a Force Awakens and die in five. No. Okay, okay, maybe. Maybe he dies in five. No, it's, it's Shia LaBeouf. Really? I mean, I know continuity-wise it should play out like that, but... I, I, I have this fear, this reoccurring nightmare. It'd be Harry Styles. Okay, so let's back... You to- know what? Fuck you, dude. Harry Styles, I bet, is going to be a good actor. He's charismatic. He's easy on the eyes. I bet you he'd be fine. So let's back this up a little bit and offer a little bit of illumination to our listeners when we're talking about five. Five? What, what are we talking about when we talk about five? Uh, nothing, just that it's being made. Exactly. And it's slated for a release in 2023. Yeah. With Harrison Ford. Did you you see some of the other principal cast? No. Uh, We have, uh, what's her name? Her name is... Karen Allen. You wish. No, it is Phoebe Weller-Bridge from Fleabag. And we also have uh, Mads Mikkelsen. He's Le Schiff Mm -hmm. from uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, Mads. Uh, hoping he's playing the bad guy. I have no idea. Germans, maybe? Again? Do, do we know the plot at all or any hints no, to what's no. going on? At, and at this point, who cares? Spielberg right. Spielberg dropped out of directing it in 2020. And so now who's on board is James Mark Gold. He did 310 to Yuma. Yep. And... uh, uh Gold. Yeah. And... Uh, um, oh, Ford versus Ferrari. And Logan... Yes, Logan. That that was the one that was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't. Why do you? Why do you look like that, John? Well, I'm just hoping that you know, Indiana Jones has this habit of good movie, bad movie, good movie, bad movie, and I'm hoping it's going to be a good movie. Are you high right now? How much dope do you smoke before? Do you like Temple of Doom? It's my favorite one. Really? Look. What? What's on the wall? I know, but why do you like that one? Because it's, uh, for me, a better story. Oh. What do you feel on that one? Uh, for me, I'm going to have to go with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, yeah. No, that's I'm fine. That but, you, but, you, but you said good movie, bad movie, good movie, and bad movie. Okay, well, let me stop you right there. Good movie, great movie, good movie. Uh, okay, but this is, but this is perfect. Spielberg knows that he fucked up with uh, the Crystal Skull, so he steps down, lets Marigold uh, do it. So, you know, there's hope. Lucas didn't catch on to that, right? Lucas Mm -hmm. didn't do that. He did Phantom Menace, should have stepped down, wanted to step down, didn't step down, and then we got what we got, right? So maybe Spielberg's doing the right thing here. Good movie, bad movie. What the fuck is wrong with you? I was not a fan of Temple of Doom. 
Now, some of the other casting I wanted to bring up was originally, instead of Karen Allen, they were looking at Sean Young. So I thought that could have been interesting. She had really good chemistry with Tom Selleck, but not so great chemistry with Harrison Ford. I thought Karen Allen did great, you know, coming off of... uh, Animal House. Animal House. uh, She was good in that. I thought she was great in this movie. Uh, A weird casting for Sala was Danny DeVito. Yeah, that that would have been ridiculous. I mean, I thought he did okay in Romancing the Stone, but... I can't see, I think it would have just all been comedy relief had he been in this movie. I don't think we could have taken him as seriously. Yeah, who knows. In 1936, American archaeologist Indiana Jones recovers a golden idol from a booby-trapped Peruvian temple. Rival archaeologist Rene Ballot corners him and steals the idol. Jones escapes in a waiting seaplane. After returning to America, Jones is briefed by two army intelligence agents that Nazi German forces are excavating at Tanis, Egypt, and one of their telegrams mentions Jones' old mentor, Abner Ravenwood. Jones deduces that the Nazis seek the Ark of the Covenant, which Adolf Hitler believes makes their army invincible. The agents recruit Jones to recover the Ark first. This has to be probably one of the best introductions to a character that I've seen in a movie. In history, because... I mean, there are, of course, memorable ones before Indiana Jones, but after Indiana Jones, everything that's come after has some sort of feel, or I shouldn't say every, but you guys know what I'm trying to say, right? It is. It has influenced so many films and so many uh, other stories that, yeah, this opening, when he turns around and the, the shit. When that light first hits his face. Yeah. You know, for the first, what, 10 minutes of the movie, you're not even seeing his face. Uh, well, it's like two minutes and 30 seconds, but okay. I, I like where your head's at. Yeah. We start out in in the in the jungle, and we are now uh, uh, completely isolated and alone, and it has this very eerie feeling to it, like danger is just around the corner. And then we are confronted with the uh, the, uh, the 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 stone face through the, uh, the the shrubs, and now it starts to take a scary slash maybe supernatural element to it. And this is an adventure movie, but at the same time, there's an undercurrent of this movie that is also subtly a horror movie. And there are definitely moments of terror in this movie that are introduced in the beginning of this movie. And we go through light and dark, light and dark, light and dark, until we finally have our eyes with Indiana at the water, and the gun comes out, and then we have that silhouette of him where he recognizes the sound of the gun being drawn, and then right after that, when he cracks the whip, it's like, you would, you were not expecting a bullwhip. Holy moly. And when do you see a bullwhip since then used? And if you ever do, you're thinking Indiana Jones. Absolutely. It is iconic how he introduces himself. And oh so briefly, he's into the light, but then right after he's into the light, half of his face goes into darkness. And we're not sure necessarily who Indiana Jones is. Is he good or maybe he's not good because his face is somewhat shrouded in darkness. But right away we know he's cool. Oh, yeah. Top notch. He's a badass. The fedora, the leather jacket. Come on, man. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, instantly I knew I wanted to be Indiana Jones. What kid didn't? 
Yeah. Right? And then into the temple we go, and as we are exposed to the various traps, we have all of these things being shown to us, these obstacles that are going to come back into immediate play in just a few moments. As we get to the temple and we have the low lighting and we see Indiana Jones figuring out how he's going to work his way across, we realize that now it is laden with yet more traps and he gets up there and there is there is maybe, what, five cinematic moment pictures that you can think of besides this that it instantly locks you to the movie. Indiana Jones standing there with the little, you know, a statue in the light. He's in the dark with the gold shining on his face. And we have him right there like that. I can think of a few other movies where you will go just like that, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. If you do that. Yeah. We, we also, you know, the whip scene in the beginning where he disarms the guy, we know he's a badass. When he gets to the cave, we know he's intelligent. He's got some smarts that he's kind of figured things out. He even brings up that he's gotten farther than his previous competitor. So you've already picked up these two elements right away in just those first few minutes. Yeah, and uh, as we go along with this ride, you have John Williams' score coming in underneath it, and it just picks you up like you're on a cloud, and, and it takes you on this uh, ride is mm-hmm. really what it is. And, you know, these traps... You look at him, and he's outsmarting him. He gets my favorite bit of this. Uh, this whole thing is when he looks at the idol, and then he has to guesstimate how much this fucker weighs. So he thinks that the uh, bag of sand he's carrying is too heavy. So he takes, you know, and he just eyeballs it, and he takes the sand out. And I just thought, how on earth does he know that? That is so cool. Now, it turns out he's fucking wrong. Well, it also shows, but, you it know. shows he's fallible as well. Well, before that, we get an introduction to a character, his first time in a movie, Alfred Molina. What do you think? Did you, did you really trust that guy, or do you think, oh, he's going to betray him? Oh, I knew he was going to betray him from jump, right? Yeah. I mean. When his friend betrays him, you think, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Indiana Jones is getting ready to, to take the statue and he, he, he wipes his lip a little bit and then Indiana, he's, he's wiggling his fingers a little bit. But what is Sam Molina doing? He's doing the, the, the money gesture with his fingers. Yeah. You know, money, 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 money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a selfish, greedy man. You know, best case scenario, uh, uh, Alfred Molina's character somehow gets the upper hand and gets out of the idol. You know, worst case scenario for him that he's thinking is that he'll go out with Dr. Jones and hopefully get, you know, compensated for it. But the greed gets him and he forgets about the trap that uh, was based in the light and, you know, he pays for it. We get our first horror shot. Yeah. But here we get, you now Indy, you know, obviously Alfred Molina's character gets killed by the spikes because he's not Indiana Jones. Indy rushes past the boulder, which I guess the funny story was the boulder wasn't fast enough. So in, so Harrison Ford kept outrunning it. So they had to film it like 10 times um, because he kept outrunning it. So they did it from different angles. And one of the angles, he trips and falls and Spielberg liked it so much he left that scene in. So that's actually him really tripping and falling. Well, yeah, it He's looks stumbling. so natural. And then uh, he gets out of the cave, and who do we have? Uh, we have the natives, and he's kind of tripping out. But then we realize that his uh, rival, Rene Beloche, speaks the native language of the tribe tribesmen. And, you know, he robs him. 
pretty much. Lazy. That's lazy archaeology right there. But they also set it up for, he goes, as he says the line, again, what you have, I can take away. Something along the line. Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing that you can possess that I cannot take away. You thought I'd given up. You chose the wrong friends. This time, it will cost you. Too bad the Hovitos don't know you like I do, Belloc. Yes, too bad. You could warn them. If only you spoke Hovitos. Then what does he say? Hakamomotutu! <laughs> <laughs> and then... Whoosh, whoosh, and, oh, I love uh, that. Whoosh, yeah. whoosh, uh, and then Indy takes off. Jock! <laughs> Jock! Start the plane! And, and so he's running, 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 and... Continuity error number one, but I'm going to look past it mm-hmm. because it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. He uh, he runs into the bush, swings with that iconic indie theme at the same time, swims to the plane, gets in. This is where we establish that he has a fear of snakes. It takes off again with this uh, beautiful score. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you wanted to make a James Bond movie, you d- you had an opening like James Bond. So well done, you know, and and one of the greatest openings in cinematic history, I would say. So now we're back at the university, and this is where we get to meet Professor Jones, and he's explaining. He's in in class, and he's explaining uh, whatever he's talking about, and we that's where we get the shot of the girl sitting in the front row, and says "love you" on her eyelids, and he all gets, the women are gaga. Over oh him. yeah, and he gets all fumbly and and stumbly when he sees it. And then, uh, what is Marcus? Marcus Brody is the dean? He's the museum, uh, manages the museum. Oh, he manages the museum. Uh, He comes in and, you know, Indy's like, the class gets over or whatever. And Indy's like, oh, I had it, Marcus. I had it, you know. And so very quickly and through their interaction and through the the way they are together, we can establish that uh, Marcus Brody and Indiana Jones are good friends. And they've probably been in each other's lives for a while. And then Marcus says, okay, that's great, Indy, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's some guys who want to see you. Turns out to be the army. And this is where we get into the whole the whole crux of this film. And this is what he's going to go after. You're just moving too fast for me. There's really not not much to say. Before that, when Brody and him are talking, first of all, you get the impression. Now, you know, you've added that he's fallible early on and all that. But you get the impression that he's not greedy. What he's doing is actually for historical value. He's trying to get these trinkets and these historical items, not out of greed because he wants to share them with the world. You know, he, the money he gets just pays for his next adventure. So sure. he's not like Belloc and other people who would just do it to make, you know, a big oh, score. Oh, come, come like on. That. No. He, finish that point. That he just wants to save things for historical reasons. But he's not that far off from Belloc. Well, Belloc brings a point that he could be pushed that far. He is, he is a robber, yeah. right? Why, why is he robbing? Well, they bring it up in the third movie. We're not talking We're about, not about the third movie. movie. I know. We but, do, we... And he even brings it up here, that he's not robbing it. He's trying to save items from other people who are going to rob them and steal them. He wants to take them before they're pillaged and these things are gone for good. He wants to give them to a museum where everybody can appreciate them. So I don't see him as robbing it. I see him as saving it before somebody else robs it. Semantics. Total semantics. He is Batman and Vigilante. Now can we talk about the fucking army intelligence? Absolutely. Is is that okay? You are allowed to move on. For fuck's sakes, this guy. So he meets with the army guys and they tell him that, you know, you got to go get the Ark. You know, this is, I I think, a slightly overlooked scene. This is a brilliantly shot scene. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps you in and it explains our story and explains what he's going after. And the way he tells the story, he tells it as uh, as someone who doesn't believe in all the magic and the hoopla and the power of God and all that. And he kind of dismisses it when he's talking about it. He's in for it for the archaeological find for history. Marcus, on the other hand, you know, says it with a little respect. And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And then the army guys are like, or the one army guy, is that Porkins, by the way? It does look like him. I think it's Porkins. Um, so, but the Porkins character is more on the lines of, you know, Indy, like this is bullshit. There's no such thing, but it's the other guy who keeps asking the question and going, well, what did that do? And what does this do? Because they represent us. They are our audience. Sure. We have Brody and we have Jones who know the story, but these two don't. And so when we are learning about what our story is going to be about, that's why we are here. And, and they come up and they get up onto the stage and Indiana has that ridiculously large book with those two big clasps on it. And what does he do? He slams it on the table. It just, boom, it just echoes throughout the whole room, you know, calling attention to this book. And the book continues to stay in the shots. And when we have these people talking to uh, Indiana, they are telling us, our questions that we have, well, what is this? And what is, didn't you guys ever go to Sunday school? We get that courtesy of these two people from the military to hear the story. Yeah. And then the convenience of that picture that, you know, he opens up the book and boom, there it is. And now we have a visual representation on what everybody is getting so excited about, the Ark of the Covenant. This sets up our first kind of Indiana Jones mission that they bring up the staff of Ra, the headpiece of Ra, and that that's why Abner has been mentioned is because he was the expert on this uh, Tanner. What was it called? Tannis. He was the expert on Tannis. So it must have something to do with the headpiece of Ra. He must know where the location of the Well of Souls is. So that's why Indy has to go there. But then later on, when Brody goes to, I, I think it's when Brody goes to Indy's house, they bring up the love interest. They bring up Marion. And he's going to see her again after some bad juju has happened between them. Yeah. Well, one thing that I, I love about these types of movies, and I brought this up before, is when they bring in mythological elements, when they bring in things that are actually historic, have historical value, uh, all of this, and you know, some people may not know this, all this stuff they talk about the Ark of the Covenant is directly pulled out of the Bible. Um, it's you know, there are actual passages in it. And I will, I will be quoting some of them, you know, throughout our podcast here talking about them. But if people want to, I actually went through and did the research and found the actual mentions in the Bible uh, about the Ark of the Covenant and about elements that happened in this movie. Um, I'll be posting those on our website, threeguysinaflick.com, if you want to check those out. Because going through them all would just take way too much time. And one of the first things that they bring up is about the Ark and about what's in the Ark and the Ten Commandments. Like I said, that's directly pulled from uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, chapter 10, where it speaks about the Ark and its contents and its abilities, things like that. That is actually a direct pull from the Bible. So the the map of the plane... uh, uh, of the of the plane flying through the different countries mm-hmm. originally uh they had uh they had people researching where they were going to take some shots of the travel happening but due to budget constraints 
they just went with the map and the line along the map. At a bar in Nepal, Jones reunites with Ravenwood's daughter, Marion, for whom Jones once had an illicit relationship and learns Ravenwood is dead. The bar is set ablaze during a scuffle with Gestapo agent Arnold Tott, who arrives to take a medallion from Marion. Tott attempts to recover the medallion from the flames, but only burns its image into his hand. Jones and Marion take the medallion and escape. We're now introduced to Marion, and uh, I've always loved this drinking game that they're playing. I always thought it was fun, and it establishes right away who Marion is and what she's all about. There's actually some story behind that that was in the script and was portrayed in the comic books. She actually worked at that bar for years. Something happened to the owner, and she ended up owning the bar. So that's kind of where she got in that position. And she had basically become a con person that she was conning people out of their money, playing drinking games, hustling pool, things like that, all to supposedly raise money to get out of there. Abner, which they, which was her father, which they don't bring up in the movie, but they do bring up in the script, had died previously in an avalanche. Oh. oh. I just assumed he was dead. Now, this does bring up one point in the movie that I think is kind of a little bit of creepy factor. They talk a little bit about something happened between Indiana Jones and Marion 10 years previously. Now, in the script, it says that Indiana Jones is 35 years old. Marion is 25 years old. If they had had a love affair 10 years previous, that would put Indiana Jones at 25 and her at 15. Why would you want to piss all over Indiana Jones like that? I just think that's a little weird continuity thing that they kind of, they could have done that a little bit better. Yeah, they could have, but... It might explain, though, if there was something, a spark, but no one says that they actually did anything. But if there was a spark between them, she had a huge crush on him, something, it explains why he had to leave town. He had to get out of there before something happened between the two of them. And that maybe Abner asked her to leave. I think you're going down a rabbit hole that no one needs to go down. And now you're just pissing all over the professor's movie. So, you, and in fact, I, I still revoke your five uh, rating of this movie because... Yeah, you can't. You don't get to call Indiana Jones a pedophile and then give this movie a five. There is no proof he did anything with her. I'm just saying. But, but the it's way weird you, I know, but the way you're saying it, the way you're bringing it up, is implying that that happened. No. So I'm just asking questions. Oh, oh is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, the comic book guy. You never picked up on that weird, creepy factor there that. She might have been pretty darn because she even says, "I was a child." And when I watched it, I think, okay, she was like 18. Okay. So that's what I thought too. Yeah. So thanks for pissing on our dreams too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that took you out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It did take me out, but it's something to think about. I mean, I never even thought about well, it. Who until wants recently. to think about that shit? Why would you want to think about that? It's just, like I said, it's that was probably an element of poor writing right there. I don't even know how to address that. So, okay. There you go. Uh, Indiana Jones's introduction here is by Silhouette. And I love it. And, you know, they get into it. He goes to see Marion. She, she fucking decks him. He probably deserved it. And then I like Indiana Jones is, I wouldn't say cold or heartless. I just think he's very matter of fact. And he's like, you know what? I did what I did. It was a long time ago. Get over it. But here's why I'm here now. You brought up a great point just a sec ago. This is probably one of my three favorite camera shots in the entire movie. 
Uh, one of them obviously being our first introduction where you were talking, Professor, earlier about the shadow on his face where you only really saw his eyes right before he whipped the gun. Second one being the silhouette on the wall. I thought this was just an amazing camera shot. It just really moved me. There's a third one later on during the dig where you see him putting the iconic hat where the sun is in the background, things like that. That is my three favorite shots from the entire movie. Yeah, all iconic. So uh, Jones asks Marion for the medallion, and she plays coy with it, so they kind of move on. And and she says, um, or he says, do you have it? And he says, she says, I do, just not with me. Come back tomorrow. So he leaves and then enter our bad guys, or bad guy. Courtesy of John Williams. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. And uh, they come in, and this dude always creeped me out when I was a kid. Good evening, Fraulein. Yeah. I mean, I would... In my head, I'm thinking about the unspeakable things that he could do to someone, you know, torturing them wise, you know, um, always freaked me out as a kid. I'm going to misquote it again, and I know you're going to not rag on me about it, but I do love the part where she's like, you know, he's got the fire poker and he's got it close to her face. And she's like, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. And he's like, I know you will. That's pretty close. Yeah. That, that to me, I know you will. His, and that face and the sweat on his face and everything, his creepy factor was just amazing. Oh, and and, and uh, during this moment, uh, she goes, I'll cooperate, I'll cooperate. And he says, that moment has passed. <laughs> so you're fucked. Um, and then naturally, Indiana Jones comes in and we get into this big firefight. Now, I only have one question for you guys. Did you guys notice that Indiana Jones' gun changes in the shots? He has a revolver. And then he has a forty-five. I don't remember the forty-five. Very prominent. Mm-mm. Very. Pro- it even when it's empty and it slides back, uh, they even have that scene. And I'm thinking to myself, where did he get the forty-five? Because I know he loses a gun to Belloc, and then he obviously has a backup gun and throws it in his briefcase maybe, or suitcase. Maybe it came from one of the henchmen. But he hadn't got anyone close yet because he does the whip. Mm-hmm. And then it starts on fire, and then they mm-hmm. start shooting, and he ducks and starts shooting. So he couldn't have gotten the gun yet. Maybe he got it from the bar. Is this when he says whiskey? No, no, no. He has it way before. He starts shooting right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He starts with the forty-five, and then I'm thinking, wait, is that a fucking forty-five? And then it cuts to him and the revolver, and I'm all, wait a minute. And then from then on out, it's a forty-five until... Oh, I'm going to go home and watch. Yeah. Yeah, check that shit out. There's never a bad excuse to watch this movie again. Continuity. So they come in, they burn the joint down, and uh, the German creepy dude sees the medallion sitting on the ground, but it had been sitting in fire, so it burns him, leaving it burnt into his hand. As the place is collapsing, Indy and Marion uh, escape, and you know she's like, you done fucked up, buddy. You just ruined my fucking bar. So guess what? Now I'm your partner. She has the medallion. I'm your goddamn partner. That's right. And we, again, get to the plane. In another transition scene, we're off to another location. Traveling to Cairo, the pair meet Jones's friend, Sala. Sala reveals Belloc is assisting the Nazis, who have fashioned an incomplete replica medallion from the burns on Tot's hand. Nazi soldiers and mercenaries attack Jones, and Marion is seemingly killed, leaving Jones despondent. And Iman deciphers the medallion for Jones, revealing one side bears a warning against disturbing the Ark, and the other bears the correct measurements for the Staff of Ra, an item used to locate the Ark. 
Jones and Sala realize the Nazis are digging in the wrong location, infiltrate the Nazi dig site, and the correctly sized staff of Ra to locate the Well of Souls, the Ark's resting place. They recover the Ark, a golden decorated chest, but Balak and the Nazis discover them and seize it. Jones and Marion, whom Balak has held captive, are sealed inside the well, but the pair escape and flee with a truck carrying the Ark. Alongside Marion, Jones arranges to transport the Ark to London aboard a tramp steamer. Now, you can't talk Raiders of the Lost Ark without talking about this whole scene with the baskets and the sword fighting and all the guns and everything. It's just an amazing scene. This is one of the iconic scenes, I think, of the movie with all the baskets all over the place. What did you think of this scene the first time you saw it? Oh, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was pure magic. You know, them running through the square. Well, first they start off like they're on a date, walking through the city. You know, uh, because the meeting doesn't take place till later, and they're killing time. And then they are being followed, which. I'm not sure why they're being followed. Balak has no idea that Indiana Jones is there, right? Uh, but yet we have these uh, Nazi guys in suits tailing him and following him. And, you know, why? There's no reason to follow Indiana Jones. But they do, and the chase ensues. And uh, I like, you know, he's doing his best to protect her, but they get split up. Another uh, iconic scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark is this swordsman. Right, he comes out. He starts flaming his sword, and Indy, being Indy, you think when you're watching it for the first time, you're thinking, "Uh oh, you know, he's gonna have to go into this big long fight." And then he, no, fuck it, he just shoots him and ends it like there, right? Um, you you know the story behind that, right? Yeah. Uh, apparently, everybody in the cast ate the food except for Spielberg. Spielberg. What well, did he? What did he bring? Did you? Re- he brought cases. Of SpaghettiOs. Yeah. And he, that was the only thing that he would eat while they were in Tunisia. So and, he's the only one them. who didn't get food poisoning. Right. And so uh, Harrison Ford is suffering through food poisoning at the scene. And he's thinking, fuck, I can't do what we rehearsed. This is, he, this is he bonkers. Tried, he tried, can't do it. Yeah. And so he says, can I just pull out my gun and shoot him? Or Spielberg suggests, I forget. No, no he, su- he suggested it to Spielberg. Yeah. He says, can I just pull out my gun and shoot him? And Spielberg's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and, he says, can I just shoot the sucker? Yeah. And if you watch the making of, you can actually see they tried filming lots of scenes where he took the whip and he whips the sword out of the guy's hand and he gets a sword and he tries to sword fight and he just could he's, that's why if you look at him you can see he's all sweaty yeah. and just doesn't look good. He looks frustrated and yeah, it's because he just was horribly sick at the time. Yeah. So he shoots this dude, Marion is making uh, an attempt to get away, gets into the baskets like you were saying and this uh a wonderfully filmed scene and just the shots and the way Spielberg is playing guess where Marion is with the baskets. And uh, when Indy comes running down the alley and he, the camera has stopped, but in, uh, but Harrison Ford just comes right on in and he gets a close up of his eyes. Like he's like, Holy fuck, what do I do? And then with camera pulls out and all these baskets, it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. And, uh, He's chasing, 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 and uh, the monkey gives up Marion, which is how she gets caught. And uh, supposedly she gets put onto the Nazi truck. It takes off, Indy shoots it, and boom, we think Marion is dead. Now, did you catch that this stunt with the truck got screwed up? 
Yeah, there's a pole or something that comes up behind yeah. it to flip it. It was supposed to have a big explosion. It was supposed to throw it up in the air and flip it over, but the explosion didn't happen right. You could, you know, had that telephone pole that came up underneath it and just kind of knocked it over. But it was they they were out of time and out of money at that point, and so they just didn't want to refilm it. Yeah, so many movies uh, are made even better because of happy accidents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, you brought up a point earlier of why were they following Indy at this point. My guess is because at the bar scene, when that Nazi guy runs out and he burns his hand, he already knows that Indiana Jones is there. So he's put the connection that Indiana Jones is involved and Marion's involved. And they know there's a, a connection between Indiana Jones and Abner um, Raven Ravenwood. Mm-hmm. Abner Ravenwood. Uh, so... Balok knows everything there is to know about Indiana Jones. He's been doing this to him for years, stealing all of his stuff. He is, as he puts it, his, you know, Indy's shadow. You know, he's Indy's dark side, Indy's opposite. So I think at this point, he's doing exactly what he said in the beginning of the movie, which is letting Indiana Jones do all the work and just following him to steal it all. That's a good point. I never thought about that. So Marion's dead. We're at the bar. Uh, this is where his Bogart uh, depiction comes in. He's sitting there drinking, and it turns out that Belloc is at the bar too. And uh, he comes over, and they start having a dialogue. And I and I like this bit between Indy and Belloc. It's really good. And you know, Belloc's trying to is trying to appease to him, you know, and say this: what we're doing is we're 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 making history. We're looking at history. Come on, let's do this. And and Jones is, you know, to his credit, he's kind of distraught over Marion, right? He's kind of pissed about it. And, you know, the line where he says, uh, Belloc says, you know, it's a transmitter to God. And I love when Indy looks at him and he says, you want to meet God? Well, let's meet him. You want to talk to God? Let's meet him together. I got nothing better to do. It is so brilliantly delivered by Harrison Ford. Such a great moment. When we get to the scene with the Iman and the warnings, there was actually a deleted scene here. And I don't know if it would have given more context to the movie. It might have made the ending make a little more sense. Um, you know, when Indy says at the end, close your eyes, Marion, don't don't watch this kind of thing. In that the Iman, there's a scene where his, he's reading the uh, medallion. He reads the warnings, and one of the warnings was not don't disturb it. Well, there was also three other kind of gremlin warnings, which was don't touch it. Don't look at it. And anybody who possesses it, it brings plagues with it. So these kind of lead into later on in the movie, obviously, don't touch it. When you notice they get into the Well of Souls, and we'll come to this later, they never touch the Ark. Have you noticed that? Until the very end of the movie, nobody touches the Ark. And that's because of this warning. And then the don't look at it obviously leads into the end as well. When I say don't look at it, I mean don't look in it. You're not supposed to look inside the ark. And then the don't touch it explains why they were using those big wooden poles I just to carry just, it out. I just assumed it was too fucking heavy. Oh. That's why. That's I mean, what I took it as. Yeah. So well, it was. A, it, it just kind of all worked out. There's actually Bible context for all of these. And again, I'll post them at the website. Cool. So this is where they find out that, uh, uh, at talking to the Iman, that they have the their stick is too long and they're digging in the wrong place. So now uh, the monkey dies because it eat, it eats bad dates. And uh, now we're at the dig site and Indy's got the medallion and the right uh, size staff. staff. They make it up there who, you know, being the map room, I'm shocked that there's no security around it. But, you know, Nazis were dumb. 
Uh, they go into the hole. And what did you guys think of this scene when you saw the city and then just the whole bit where the uh, the pathway to the arc is shown? And again, with the score. I mean, it's just it just all works and it's just so good. Iconic music. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting and I kept trying to figure it out and I had to look it up was when he's in the map room, one of the buildings, which is obviously the building that the Nazis think has the Well of Souls because they've marked it, has kind of a little bit of writing on it. Did you know what that writing said on it? You know, every time I watch it, I try to read what it says, but no, I have no idea what it, it is. It's German, and it says in German, do not disturb. Oh, interesting. One of the things, too, I read is the uh, the, the mystic guy, the Ayman, talks about the size of the staff and he, I forget the terminology he uses for the, what the, the measurements are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like four of them, then take one away. I looked up what that measurement is. It's supposed to be the measurement from your elbow to your middle finger. So it's four of those, take one away. Or five of those and take one away. Yeah. yeah. Little things I find interesting, I look up. Yeah. What I always think about in this moment is, how do you know if it's the right time of the year for the sun to be in the correct place. How do you know if it's supposed to be done in the summer, the winter, the spring, because the sun moves all over the place. And so the sun has to align just right coming through there. And it's not always going to be, you know, going through that hole shining onto the city like that. Right. So clearly there's only certain times of the year that this even works. So, Hey man, I'm sure they did their due diligence. They did their study. They did their research. They figured it out. Yeah, back off. They're scientists. There there you go. So he gets out. They know the uh, location of the ark. And this. now we come to the scene where they're going to bury it out uh, or uncover it. And this brings us to the scene that when those iconic shots where the sun's going down and it's all silhouette and, and the men are chanting and they're digging and Indy reaches down and grabs his hat, puts it on. So iconic. The silhouette right. with everything is yeah. just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they open it up and, you know, they look over the the edge. Ah! Sala <laughs> uh, says, why does the floor move? And, <laughs> and just in Indy's voice and his tone, wait a minute. He throws the torch down and it's fucking snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? You know. Uh, and then what does Sala say to him? Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> Classic. So uh, they go down and they make their way through the snakes by lighting them all on fire. I love the bit and I always look at it and I always try to see it. And sometimes I can see it and sometimes I can't. But when Harrison Ford falls in front of the King Cobra, uh, there's a glass plate there. Looking for the glass. It's, yeah, it's, I'm it's always looking some venom for the glass. at him. And you can see it on the glass and you can see the reflection. Yeah, but I try to... I try to see the glass before that moment mm-hmm. right and uh it's so good it's so good we were watching it uh elise and i were watching it uh, the other night and she absolutely hates snakes just like i do right so she was grabbing onto my arm and every time uh, a snake would snap or hiss or something she would dig her nails into my arm and i'd get so pissed <laughs> yeah. i'll say the other thing that i always catch with this scene is do you catch in the background some of the snakes are eating the other snakes no I always catch that too. I don't like snakes, dude, so I, I try not to watch it. Yeah. I, well, I, I try to focus on other things. Julie, you know, Julie is like the it. same way. She has a phobia of snakes. And we watched this movie the other night, and she was not happy that I didn't warn her about the snake in the plane, so I had to warn her about the Well of Souls. Wait, hang on. 
Was this the first time she'd ever seen it? This is the first time she's ever seen any Indiana Jones movie. That's not what my question was. This is the first time she'd ever seen the movie, yes. Wow. Did she like it? Wait, 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 wait. You know what? I don't want to know. So, Sala... I mean, I don't want to know. It's It's better that way. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's better that way. It's better that way. So, Sala and Indy make it down, and uh, they use the poles, and they lift up the arc, and uh, we were watching it the other night, and I told Elise, hey, look for C-3PO and R2-D2, because they are engraved on... Um, on on one of the walls, and that's got to be you know one of uh, an early early Easter egg before mm-hmm. they were really Easter eggs, and that that's always a fun bit, right? A couple things that always kind of stand out to me in this is first of all the design of the ark itself. They took that again right out of the Bible. It describes it you know to a T exactly what it's supposed to look like, the size of it, the gold plating, everything. Again, I'll throw it on the website. It's it's amazing how well they designed it. So they get the ark, and then uh, it turns out that Balak is at the top waiting for him. And, you know, he says the same line. Uh, again, there's nothing that you can possess that I cannot take away, right? And, um, you know, Indy's kind of taken back, and he's, you know, worried about what's going to happen. And then they bring Marion. They throw Marion into the fucking pit. And this always gave me... Um, and this gave and and this gives us a great scene of them trying to get out, right? I love how he has to climb up the fucking um, statue, wiggle it back and forth, and and the music up until that point is uh, dire, and and we're in distress, and what are we gonna do? But as soon as that uh, statue starts to go to hit the wall, we kick right into the uh, Raiders theme and they bust through the wall and Indiana Jones gets them out of it again. Which I, which brings us to, I think, like you were saying, the horror element. I think this is probably the most terrifying scene uh, or one of two of the most terrifying scenes in this film is when Marion's walking through and all those uh, corpses are coming at her. And then it cuts to the one corpse and there's a big fucking snake coming, coming out, out of his, his mouth. mouth. What the fuck is that about? What is with all the noises that they're making? My speculation, because Julie asked me, why are they making noises? Why why are there there's sound coming out of them? I was thinking maybe this was a room that didn't have air in it before, and now the air is being released and coming through. Well, yeah. you. It, I mean, if you have to have an explanation, that's certainly a logical one. Uh, when I was watching it, it's part of the score, and it's just going along with it. Mm. it it's, it's feeding the moment. And, and maybe it's in her head. Music. No, it's on, it's on the screen. It's coming out of the speakers. It's for us. It's for the mm-hmm. audience. I don't think there needs to be any logic. But I like where you're going with that with the no air in the room. So Karen Allen said that uh, between doing that and the snakes, she would take the snakes any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I bet you. I bet you it was creepy as fuck. Can we go back a sec and talk about the scene between Belloc and Marion in the tent? When they're drinking and she has to uh, get into the dress. No, yeah, I, I know the scene. Did that scene, first of all, did that scene feel very unnecessary to you? None of this movie felt unnecessary to me. So you would still keep that scene in? I would not change this film one bit. Okay. Did you know that that scene was ad-libbed? Yeah. yeah. That I did not know until just recently I read it, that that entire interaction was them just ad-libbing that scene. And so a lot of people feel that's why it kind of felt a little awkward. I didn't think it felt awkward. I thought it took us so it, it took us away from the action or what Indy was doing, which gives us as the audience a breather, and it also lets us know that Marion's uh, resourceful, resourceful. Yeah. and she was going to get out of it somehow. And so I, I, 
you know, people pick shit apart all the time. And I think it's awesome that it was fucking ad-libbed. And they did, it looked natural. And no, I wouldn't change this scene at all. I guess original, like one of the original plans for the story, and they kind of left it a little bit in in the script, is they were supposed to be building up to a love triangle between Bollock, Marion, and Indiana Jones. And that you wouldn't know until close to the end of the movie which way she was going to go. Oh, that would have been dumb. Yeah, so I'm glad they kind of didn't go that direction. You know, kind of felt like, you know, was she, you know was she still about the greed? Was she still about the money? Because originally, in um, George Lucas's original story, the sidekick of Indiana Jones, the Marion type character, was going to turn out to be a Nazi spy and turn on him at the end of the movie. They actually ended up saving that story, cutting it out and saving it, and that's where the uh, sidekick came in in the third movie. Movie. Oh, you know, us finding Marion alive also lends to what I was mentioning earlier about this darker side, and how uh, Indiana is, a, you know, not that far off, not not that far off from Belloc because he finds Marion and he chooses the Ark over Marion. He chooses to go for the gusto of the treasure and leave his former love behind. Logically, it makes sense, right? He was sent there to do a job and, you know, he didn't ask Marion to come along with him. You know, he might care for her and that's all good and daddy, but he's 100% correct. He takes her out of there and it's, you know, all hands on deck, right? The, the jig is up. So the moment when we have... Uh, uh, tote showing up again, and he is crashing the uh, the, the little uh, dinner, and the hanger comes out. Mm-hmm. His the little ten- torture device. Yes, the, you think the, at first the, the tension that is being built up with the music, and you know he's a Nazi, and and then all of a sudden it constructs itself into a hanger. That is one of Spielberg's favorite moments in the movie. He tried to do it earlier, apparently, in 1941, and he said the joke fell flat. But it it delivered very, very well in Raiders. Yeah, which is funny because, you know, watching it again last night, I still felt uneasy and tense when he whips it out, even though I know what it is. You know what I mean? So I just know, like it was, when you say whip it out. I knew you would. That's why I said it. That's why I said it. Uh, speaking of whipping it out... They get out of the fucking tomb and Sala tells them about the plane. And uh, this is where we get the fight with the big bald dude. And um, yeah, great scene. Uh, the way it's shot, the way the build suspense. It's fantastic. One thing I love about this, and in a lot of these hero type movies, the hero is indestructible. The hero is unbeatable. You can see in this fight scene that Indy is pretty much outmatched. This guy is just kicking his ass and throwing them all over the place. And Indy, first of all, is not beyond underhanded tactics to win a fight. Throws dirt in his eyes, you know, hits him low, all these kind of things, and he's still not winning. It's the uh, propeller blade that finally takes this guy out. Yeah, he gets the assist from the uh, propeller blade. Uh, Marion gets stuck in the cockpit. Uh, they, they, uh, the wing hits the thing of the gas. The gas starts spewing out. Now it's only moments before it ignites, it and ignites. here comes the trail of fire to the to the uh, to the plane. Gets Marion out. They run away. The score kicks off. Every bit of this movie is go 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 because we're not done. He's got to still get the fucking arc right. 
So uh, the horse chase, uh, he fi- he catches up to the truck. He takes control of the truck. He knocks all of the guys off one by one. Great stuff. And then uh, the stunt coordinator, actually, of the film is the dude who climbs out and, you know, starts to whoop up on Indy. And again, we see that he's fallible because he gets shot. So mm-hmm. now he's got a bullet in his arm. And uh, this brings us to another iconic moment in this film is when Indy gets thrown through the windshield and then he's got to make his way underneath the truck, back over the truck, and then take control of the truck. So good. So good. Uh, so he uh, he gets control of the truck. He has the arc. They meet uh, Sala, or he meets Sala and Marion at the docks. This is where they say goodbye to Sala, which I always thought was a... a, a you know, if Indiana Jones was going to be tender at a moment, like maybe a Riggs and Murtaugh moment, this would have been it. And, you know, he just tells Sala, thank you. You're my very good friend. And that's probably a lot coming from Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Marion kisses Sala. And I thought that was a real sweet moment as well. And then, you know, starts singing. They get on the ship. And we think so far so good, right? We're on the stretch home. Well, here's where comes in the, uh, well, first of all, one of my favorite scenes, but comes in the ad lib when Marion's talking to him and she makes a comment that, you know, you're not the same Indiana Jones from 10 years ago. And what's his quote that he says? It's not the years, it's the mileage. That was ad-libbed by Harrison Ford. That was brilliant. And it, it comes in uh, a great scene too, you know, and uh, they start to kiss or, or no, first he's looking at, he's looking at himself in the mirror. That's my favorite and, scene. And she's looking at herself in the mirror. It's one of those mirrors that swivel and she hits him and you hear him yell out and cut that, to the wide shot of the boat. And we can hear it outside. That scream. Yeah. Yeah. That, that and then scream. she reaches over and she, or then she leans over and goes, did you say something? <laughs> and he's rubbing his jaw. That's one yeah. of my favorite scenes in the movie. It always makes me laugh every time. And then it gets a little hokey. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think of the scene where it's like, well, where does it not hurt? And he points at his elbow and she kisses his oh, elbow. Oh, I thought it was and sweet. And points at the head. She kisses the head. Yeah, I know she points you at You knew the, exactly where that was going. Yeah, of course. It was sweet. It was, it was fine. But I love how that scene ends. He falls asleep. I, think I it's love that. It's perfect. So brilliant. So brilliant. And, and as he's sleeping, I was, you know, when you're watching it, you're thinking to yourself, he must be fucking exhausted, mm-hmm. right? So no wonder. A German U-boat intercepts the steamer and seizes the Ark and Marion. Jones covertly boards the U-boat. The vessel travels to an island in the Aegean Sea where Belloc intends to test the power of the Ark before presenting it to Hitler. On the island, Jones ambushes the Nazi group and threatens to destroy the Ark, but surrenders after Belloc deduces that Jones would never destroy something so historically significant, also surmising that Jones wants to know if the Ark's power is real. The Nazis restrain Jones and Marion at the testing site as Belloc ceremonially opens the Ark but finds only sand inside. At Jones' instructions, he and Marion close their eyes to avoid looking at the opened Ark. As it releases spirits, flames, and bolts of energy that kill Belloc, Tot, and the assembled Nazis before sealing itself shut. Jones and Marion open their eyes to find the area cleared of bodies and their bindings removed. Back in Washington, D.C., the United States government rewards Jones for securing the Ark. Despite Jones's insistence, the agents state only that the Ark has been moved to an undisclosed location for top men to study. In a large warehouse, the Ark is crated up and stored among countless other crates. Roll credits, 
and roll the theme. The scene where the ship is boarded, the Ark is taken, Marion is taken, all of that. And then the next we see uh, Indiana Jones has swam over to the U-boat and is basically getting ready to ride it to the island. Did that scene ever bother you at all? Did you ever question that scene? No. Well, uh, you're wondering, how can he be safe on a submarine? Why is he going to be okay riding on a submarine? Yeah, I well, just I just assumed it never submerged. Well, it's going a long distance. Submarines go under the water. Oh, I understand what a Why would it stay does. up top? Why wouldn't they? It stays up top because the vessel goes faster above water than it does when it's submerged. And so to make... Uh, to to make the submarine go underwater, you're doing it to be covert. And if you're trying to be covert, you are sacrificing speed. Since they weren't trying to be covert, they were running on top of the water where they could go at full steam. That That's a great reasoning, but I actually read ahead and there is a deleted scene here that explains it. And this is actually a big criticism people have on the internet about him being on top of that boat and not getting seen by this periscope and everything. If you notice when he swims out there, one of the first things he does is he walks up, he gets up top by the periscope and he goes to grab his whip. Um, they cut the scene right there. Spielberg didn't like the look of what happened next, which is Indiana Jones actually took the whip and tied himself to the periscope because the periscope was always above water. If they submerged, they were still keeping the periscope above water. And there's actually scenes out there of as the boat's going through the water, you can see Harrison Ford halfway out of the water tied to this periscope, um, almost freezing to death. And so that's what they ended up cutting out of the movie because Spielberg thought it looked too hokey. I actually watched today on the internet the scene of him with that, and it just it looked really weird to see this periscope with Indiana Jones tied to it. It just looked very strange. But that's why when they finally get to the island, and he, you know, they're showing him behind the crates and everything, um, he's all wet and everything because he's basically been on there for hours riding on top of the submarine. And so, yeah, he has to he smart as fuck, right? He's Indiana Jones. Uh, I love the bit where he, the, du- the dude is yelling at him in German. He's combing his hair, fixing it, and then he hits him. And uh, the cap flies up, and now he's got his ball cap. Yeah, I guess in German, the guy was saying, what are you, sleeping back here? Why are you he asked not he fully was, dressed? He and, asked if he was tired. He said, yeah. mood, which, yeah. which is tired. And and you and you kind of get that uh, with the body language and everything, and and this is the way Harrison Ford plays it. Too, I guess so. they had actually for filming that scene used an actual World War II German uh, submarine bunker. I'm telling you, dude, Spielberg knows his shit. He does his research, so it doesn't surprise me that this stuff is in the Bible or that they used uh, uh, real stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's the man. Uh, so they're taking the Ark to uh, their testing site, and uh, we talked about it earlier. Uh, you know, uh, Bellux tells the the Nazis that, you know, what if you take this in front of Hitler and it, it's a no-show. It, it's a big dud, right? Because the Nazi dude says, I don't know if I'm comfortable you doing your Jewish thing, right? Which is, you know. Nazis. Well, I guess that line about, you know, the, he wasn't comfortable with Jewish rituals, that was an actual film or scene they filmed later on when the movie was about done because they realized they had done, Spielberg had realized he'd done a whole movie with Nazis in it and never, you know, talked about Jews once in the movie. So they threw that scene in just to mention Jews. Oh, interesting. And um, 
so they they're going and they're uh, marching along, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, this is a really long fucking place to take uh, to do this test, right?" Um, and then Indy catches up with them and threatens to blow it up. And I like this scene too because uh, Balak is right. I mean, he calls him on his bullshit. He says, "All right, go ahead, blow it up," you know. And I and I think this is meant for us to you know see that Indy's kind of turned around now, and he's saying, "I just want Marion, all right. Just you do what you got to do." Um, I just want the girl and um, yeah, he calls him on his bullshit and he gives himself up because yeah. he's curious too, right? He wants to know what's in this motherfucker. Well, once again, Belloc shows that how well he knows Indiana Jones. One, he knows that he would never destroy something of such historical significance. And two, you're right. He's curious about what's actually inside the arc, what it's about. Um, Professor, you brought up earlier about Indy choosing, you know, the arc over Marion. Did you see that in this scene as well, or did you feel it was different? I wasn't sure what his plan was because he's on an island with a bunch of Nazis. How is that supposed to play out? How do you get off of an island full of a bunch of Nazis? Right. That's what I was thinking. He gives himself up. They go for the test. Uh, and this this scene probably traumatized me as a child. They, uh, they, they tie him up, and then they take the lid off of the ark and at first it's nothing everyone's kind of laughing and then all hell breaks loose the spirits come up and they're floating around and everything's all good and dandy and i think at this point in indian uh marion aren't looking right their their eyes are closed then the music turns and the face turns and everyone starts freaking out and tot melts which fucking traumatized me uh the other dude the other german dude looked like he got uh just sucked from the inside out vacuumed inside yeah yeah great great term vacuumed and then belloc uh head explodes uh did you know they wanted to rate this uh rate this rated r because of that scene yeah because of the head exploding was so graphic that yeah they wanted to rate r do you since you brought it up how did they fix it so that they it wasn't put, radar? They put the flames in front of it. Yeah, that's so. the whole reason we had the flames in front of it. Now, how did they create those three scenes? Did you read about that? Stop motion. Well, the first one with Toft and his face melting was they kind of created, I guess, a wax impression of his head and then put it in front of a heat lamp and sped it up. <laughs> yeah, and they melted it. That's the, good. The other guy, you called it, um, you know, with the vacuum in that they basically created a head of him and then put a vacuum inside and sucked his head in. The third one with the head exploding was a shotgun blast. Oh yeah. So yeah. they shot it with a shotgun. All of the Nazis are dead and uh, Marion and Indy's uh, bonds are broke. How do they get off the island? I was wondering the same, but before we get off the island, when the arc closes itself back up, and it seals itself back up. Uh, did you happen to catch what they ended up using for the sound effect of the mm-hmm. arc closing? Now, what is it? It is the. I uh, can I can hear the sound in my yeah. head. What, what, what and you'll it? you'll know it once he says it. Yeah, it's a toilet cistern. The 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 back of your toilet. Yeah. The reservoir for the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's dragging that, <laughs> dragging it off of a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> And now you can That's totally awesome. see it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, one thing I was going to bring up, the ghost effect that they had flying through the air. Did you read how they kind of created some of that? Uh, some of that, for some of the kind of spirits and ghosts, were mannequins in a pool. 
that's how they film the hair flowing and the, the kind of flying through the air. Genius. But I did definitely think the same thing. How do you get off the island? My only guess was, and again, this is just reading into things. I don't think there's any deleted scene or any explanation is somehow they got rescued by the U.S. Navy. I can see that happening. And sure. that's how they got the Ark off the island and all that. Because otherwise, the two of them couldn't have carried that thing out. And so now we're back in the U.S. Somehow and, they got the Ark back to the U.S. And they're, and they're in Washington. And, you know... Uh, Indy's like, no, 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 the money's great. Everything's great. But this is unacceptable. Where's the ark? And both Brody and uh, Indy are like, you said we get the ark. And the government being the government, we're like, no, we'll take it from here, boys. And uh, it comes to that line, oh, well, who's looking at it? Top men. Yeah. Who? Top men. Now, the scene that happens right after this with Marion and Indy on the stairs was actually another scene that was added later because they realized that they had no resolution between the two characters and that audiences might want one. So that was supposed to be the resolution between the two characters. That's funny. Can you see them sitting in the screening room and someone going, well, what happened to Marion? And Spielberg's like, I don't fucking care. They just, they, they did it. Everything's a roll of credits. And someone goes, no, 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 wait. But what happened to Marion? <laughs> so they go back and they refilm it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, uh, last shot of the movie, and it pushes back, and we see the arc being put away. The iconic theme comes on, and fucking you walk out of the theater, and your life has been changed. One thing we've brought up in other movies, and I don't know if you're interested in, do you want to know the body count for this movie? No, not really. Let's say total. Everybody? Total, including the monkey. Well, yeah, he's a body. 57. You got a guess, Professor? That's a really good guess. Thanks, buddy. That's a really good guess. I don't know. I guess I would go something like maybe 60, 60 to 70. Over. What was it, bud? 64. Good going, Professor. Professor. Now, the interesting thing I read was 11 of those are by Indiana Jones. Marion actually killed more people in this movie than Indiana Jones. Interesting. I guess the scene where she's in the plane and she starts shooting people with that gun helped her numbers go above Indiana Jones. <laughs> where she was shooting the ground? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good shooting text. I think it, wait, she didn't kill that many people with a frying pan. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, 64. Dun, 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 dun. Now, one interesting thing, I, when we talk about body count and all that, and I didn't even, it didn't click before, in all of the Indiana Jones movies, do you notice he never kills the top bad guy? I've never paid attention to that before. All of them always die due to usually their greed. So I thought that was interesting, that he never actually beats the bad guys in the movies. Oh, he beats them because they're dead and he's still alive. Yeah. So he wins. He wins. He wins. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things, and they bring it up in the third movie kind of thing of, you know, Indiana Jones survives every time because he doesn't give in to greed. He doesn't, as Bellick said, doesn't go to that dark side of, you know, that that shadow of giving in to the greed and everything of the possession. He gives it up. Yeah. Question. Yeah. What is your most iconic moment that you first think of when you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Do <sighs> Great either, question. Do either one of you have one? I already spilled the beans on that one for me. And then... I will also take another answer from each of you, if you have one. What is one of the first lines in Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that you think of when you think of Indiana Jones? 
It could be any line at all. And I already have mine. Oh, it's snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? I think for me, when it comes to the line, I'll go there first. It's the line when he first gets into playing with Jock, which is, you know, the why is there a snake here? I hate snakes. Mm-hmm. That That's the line I always think of when I think of Indiana Jones. Scene-wise, I'm trying to think of what I picture in my head when I think of Indiana Jones. And one of the first scenes I think of, Professor, is one that you talked about, which is his face kind of at half level, looking at the idol where he's kind of touching his face and thinking and mm-hmm. you know, way in the sand. That's one scene I think of. The other scene I always think of is that very first open shot where he uses the bullwhip and we see the shadow effect on his face and you're just seeing his eyes underneath the brim of his hat. Those are the two that just jump out to me. Well, there's so many iconic scenes. That it's I not, agree. It's not so, really a fair question. But if I had to pick one, it's the boulder scene. There you go. That's what we needed right there. Hands down. It's the boulder scene. Probably, you know, because, yeah, it's the boulder scene. You know where the sound effect for the boulder rolling was? Which was? The, the, the sound. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant. The, the what, audio. What of, is it? It is a Honda Civic car tire rolling across gravel. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Movie magic, man. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. Do you have an iconic line? And it doesn't even have to be iconic. What is, so I have a line that I think of all the time when I think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which is? It is when, uh, when he, I'll just do it. Give me the whip. Throw me the idol. I'll throw you the whip. No time to argue. Give me the whip. I always think of that when I think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's your favorite scene? You have the boulder rolling as your favorite moment. Is it also your favorite scene? Well, that whole opening I would consider the a whole, scene. The whole opener. I, I think, see, that's where I go to. Because the whole opening for me, it's more than a scene, but boy, it is its own movie. It, gonna, it is so good. I'm going to take the easy, one, the easy road, and it's a lot of people's favorite. Uh, my favorite scene is where he shoots the swordsman. Oh, that's a great moment. I mean, that's solid that I still remember kind of my reaction the first time ever seeing it. And my thought was, why does that not happen in every movie? Every time there's going to be a big fight, if you got a gun on you, why don't you just shoot the guy? Absolutely solid. All right. So what do you guys think? Should we rate this bitch? Hey uh, there, professor. How do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five. One to five what? One to five fucks. So... If we love a movie and it's cinematic gold, we are going to give this movie five fucks. If we do not like the movie and we never want to see it again, we saw it and we're never going to see it again, never want to see it again, that's a movie that is one fuck. I am fucking through with this movie. And a zero? A zero is somebody owes you two hours of your life back. Just don't give a fuck. As a matter of fact, for making me watch that movie, fuck you. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, all right, Raiders of the Lost Ark, who wants to go first? Since I picked this movie, do you want me to go first? Oh, yeah. Go ahead there, John. You go first. Okay. Five. All right. Wait. Um, <laughs> no, you yeah, forbid me from giving a five. 4.95. Okay. Well, obviously, we have all pretty much gushed over this movie, the whole podcast here. But um, I would honestly say this movie is magic. It is cinema gold. 
It is the fact, you know, the most other, kind of like Die Hard when it comes to those action movies, this movie is another movie that every other movie is held, you know, this is, sets the bar, every other movie is held to it. Um, the chemistry from the actors are fantastic. The cinematography of the shots with the shadows on the walls and the sunset and just the angles that they get, you know, even when Sala catches the date and you just see the hand and the date, all those little things are just, I mean, they're amazing that they did this. And you wouldn't expect anything less from the powerhouse of Spielberg working with Lucas to create a movie like this. Um, this is a movie that you can easily go back to every time and it launched the whole series of indiana jones movies all of those you know iconic characters it made me want to you know go out and get the outfit that i wear at the comic cons carrying around the little golden idol and all that if you ever see our logo you'll notice i'm even dressed up as indiana jones in it so you already know i'm a fanboy when it comes to indiana jones um of the of the movies that came out would i say that this is my favorite in the series no uh, I do uh, love this movie. I think it's one of my top movies. If I had to pick a top 10, this would easily be in my top 10, but it is not my top Indiana Jones movie. So for that reason, even in the beginning, I did not plan on giving it a five only because if there wasn't this other movie out there that I appreciate even more, um, it would be a 5.0. So because like I said, because um, there's ones that I think is slightly better, a little bit more, better chemistry, a little bit more action, or better action, better storyline, I'm going to give it a 4.75. 4.75. Hmm. There you go. Okay. You want to go or you want me to go? You go. All right. Uh, what can you say about Raiders of the Lost Ark that hasn't already been said? Uh, Spielberg and Lucas... Uh, hit it out of the park Harrison Ford perfect casting uh, the flow of the film uh, the soundtrack everything about it is phenomenal it was one of those movies that you know changed film and for me it changed my life and I love Raiders of the Lost Ark is it my favorite of the series no it's not uh, is it uh, a close number two absolutely you know, it, it, it kind of falls in the same lines as how I feel about the original trilogy of Star Wars. So, um, so much you can say about it and so much has been said about it. I love this film. I could watch it anytime it's on. I know it from front to back. I'm going to give Raiders of the Lost Ark 4.75 fucks. Okay, so 4.75 from John and 4.75 from you. All right, so for me, I give Raiders of the Lost Ark Five fucks. Is that it? I guess the only other thing I would really say is um, for both of you to give this movie less than a five, fuck you guys. Come on. How can you not give this movie a five? It is so good. This is worth every one of the fucks. This is a five fuck movie. Oh, wait. I know what it is. John, you're on medicine. Are, Are you taking medicine too? Because if you are, you need to cut the dose and get a slice of reality here. Recreationally. Because this this movie is cinematic gold, and it deserves five fucks. And for you to not give it five fucks means that you guys are warped, Uh, in my opinion. (laughs) Now comes the time in the podcast where we are going to select our next director. 
what we did was we put directors into a hat and we are going to pull a director out of the hat and then we are each going to put a movie from said director into the hat and redraw and that will be our movie for next week. Week one was John Hughes, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This was Steven Spielberg and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, The other four movies uh, that we didn't pick have gone into the Bronco helmet, so we will get to them eventually. All right, the next film, uh, the next director we are going to be talking about is... Let me do that just for you. Martin Scorsese. Now that we have put three movies of Martin Scorsese into our Indiana Jones hat, we're going to let John pick our next film. Our next film is going to be... Two absolute martinis. You know how I like them. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes the fuck out. <laughs> Excellent strategy, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm good with water for now, though. Thank you. It's his first day on Wall Street. Give him time. Aren't you married? Married people can't have friends. We're not going to be friends. No touching. The things they're doing now, Pops. Get out of here. They're bald from the eyebrows down. $22 million in three fucking hours! I take Quaaludes 10 to 15 times a day for my back pain. Adderall to stay focused. Xanax to take the edge off, pot to mellow me out, cocaine to wake me back up again, and morphine, well, because it's awesome. What do you think this is? A party? It's never going to end? FBI, give us a minute, huh, ladies? The hero that I'm going to be when we finally seize this boat. I mean, fuck it, he fuck, fuck, <laughs> All right, get the fuck oh. off, bro. Good luck on that subway ride home to your miserable, ugly fucking wives. I'm going to have Heidi lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. We don't fucking work for you, man. Yeah, my money taped to your tits. Technically, you do work for me. This is insane. Donnie, this isn't un- this isn't funny. You got untie me, buddy. I can't untie you. The captain tied you up. He was fucking tasing you. Why? Why? It's okay. Rub my temple. You're all right. We all love you. Shut the fuck up. The Wolf of Wall Street. Can you tell us a little bit about Wolf of Wall Street? I will. Next podcast. Okay. Ba-bam. Uh, just uh, forewarning you, your father, Julie, Julie's mom, don't have will them. not no. like this film. Don't have them watch this. Don't. So this is not going to be our Tuesday night family movie? No. Hey, no. it can be, but I am not going to be held responsible for the reaction you get. And I think it will heavily influence your rating. So, Well, my dad has walked out of a lot of our movie picks. Julie has sat through them. Uh, Tuesday night. Don't. Don't. Nana did not want to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. She wouldn't even watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't. This movie is not for Julie. (laughs) This movie is not for a lot of people. All right. So we have the Wolf of Wall Street to look forward to next week. Uh, That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. As always, I want to thank all of our listeners, uh, especially Zach, Ronnie, and Jill. Thanks for listening. Keep up. Share us with a friend. 
Um, hey, speaking of sharing us with a friend, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at any of the podcasting hosting sites. Uh, we are listed on Podbean, Spotify. We're listed on iTunes, all of them. If you do happen to listen to us on any of those podcasting hosting sites, please go ahead and subscribe so that you can get information when we post new podcasts or post clips or any new information, news, things like that. We'd love to build up some of our subscriber numbers. Uh, They can find us at any of the social media sites. We are on Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I've put us any place I can go ahead and get us on, and we're going to start being even more active on that. A little behind-the-scenes videos, things like that, photos. Uh, we will be posting them all. You can also always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. That on the website, we actually post even more information about the movies, uh, about our upcoming movies, all of our scores on there. Be sure to check it out sometime. We'd love to have you visit the website. All right, so there you go. Uh, We had a lot of fun talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, absolute classic. Thanks again for joining us. So for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. away that's right if you're gonna quote fucking raiders of you know what you don't deserve to give it a five you have your five privileges have now been taken away comic book guy i'm sorry i hate to it hurts my heart to do that to you so great line did you add a whip sound no if you if you feel like you need a whip sound just go whoosh, and then i'll fucking replace it in post fuck just make my job that much harder see the professor doesn't say anything because he knows he likes me just the way I am. Yeah. Every time you shake, you you shake the fucking table, dude. Fuck, 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 fuck. Again, blowing the flow. Fuck off, good night.